0: from the heritage foundation i'm tim desher and this is heritage explains live As the situation in Ukraine continues to escalate, there are so many questions being asked. So we wanted to take them head on. What is at stake there? Is Russia going to invade? What happens if they do? On this episode of Heritage Explains Live, we talked with Robert Wilkie. He's the former U.S. Secretary of Veterans Affairs and the Under Secretary of Defense during the Trump administration. He's now a visiting fellow here at the Heritage Foundation, so we're so lucky to have him join us on this episode of Heritage Explains Live. Just wanted to give you a quick plug here, though. If you want to see this conversation happen on video, we're going to link to it in the show notes. You can log on to YouTube or Facebook and see it happen there. So without further ado, let's roll the interview, John Pop, And we are... Live, Heritage Explains live. We are here um, and, and we're going to get right into it. As you know, we are talking Russia and Ukraine right now. We're seeing videos of, of trains rolling through Russia, moving tanks, guns, ammo to eastern Ukraine. It's uh, looking very similar to the footage, some of the footage we saw back in 2014 when Putin moved troops into Ukraine and then annexed Crimea, which was a huge deal under the Obama administration. And so now we're getting all these reports, journalists on the ground. They're reporting a lot of different things, a lot of different stories, a lot of different angles to this. And so we wanted to kind of cut through a little bit of that Noise and get right to the heart of things, and that means we got to go live here. So, uh, just as an introduction, my name is Tim Desher, I'm the co host of the Heritage Explains podcast. And today, we're joined with someone who is you are the right person for this conversation. Uh, you've been covering this thing ad nauseum, and you are Robert Wilkie. <laughs> You're the former U.S. Secretary of uh, Veterans Affairs and the Under Secretary of Defense in the Trump administration there at the Pentagon. And now you're here at Heritage, Robert Wilkie.
1: Thank you very much for having
0: me. <laughs> I know it was a mouthful there, but, all right. but you've been around town, man.
1: I have been. That shows you my age.
0: <laughs> very good angle. Goes I didn't right? want to say it, but That's yeah, right. it does show your age. Absolutely. And one day it will show my I remember age. when this was a small building. <laughs> That's right. And I even heard rumors that this used, the building we're in currently used to be a hotel or something. It was. Yeah, there you go. I don't remember that. Wow. There it is. So here you go. Hotel, the studio and right to you. We're going to get right into this thing right now because it is um, extremely important. A lot of questions going on, cut right through it. Um, I just want to know what Russia wants. Sure. Obviously they wanted Crimea back in 2014, but why not? What here in eastern Ukraine?
1: Well, let's, let's talk about who Putin is and then what he's playing. Okay. Uh, he is an extreme nationalist, not a communist, but a nationalist who believes in the history of greater Russia. He's often fond of quoting uh, a passage from World War II when Stalin was asked if he was happy that his troops got to Berlin to defeated Hitler. He said, no, Tsar Alexander got all the way to Paris. Um, And that tells you what Putin's thinking is, not so much the the march to Paris, Hmm. but that Russia has a special place both on the Asian and the European continent. Mm -hmm. And he is very, very focused on bringing back or at least coercing the near abroad. What does that mean? That means everything from the Ukraine all the way up to Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. Hmm. Uh, He wants to have a table at the European table, a place at the European table. Mm -hmm. So what's he doing right now? Ukraine right now is part of a three-pronged effort on on Putin's part. Uh, While we are watching Ukraine, he is making aggressive moves into the Middle East. Mm. Uh, He just signed a military cooperation agreement with Saudi Arabia. Uh, He just hosted Prime Minister Bennett of Israel at uh, his vacation home in Sochi Mm. in Russia. And they reached an agreement that Russia would not interfere with Israeli attacks on terrorists in Syria. Hmm. Um, he is reaching out to the other Arab nations. Why is he doing that? Because Joe Biden and his obsession with coddling up to the uh, Ayatollahs and renewing the failed uh, Obama agreement has left a tremendous vacuum. Hmm. After Trump brought Arab and Israeli together, Hmm. where they buried hundreds of years of animosity, both for economic but also for security reasons, Uh, They are now left adrift by this administration uh, that is allowing Iran to flex its muscles. The third part, uh, Putin wants to destabilize the eastern flank of NATO. Hmm. He has weaponized migrants being pulled out of Iran and Iraq, and is moving them through Belarus uh, to undermine border security in Poland, Romania, and Bulgaria. Um, And this administration has had no answers.
0: Let, let me let me just so so what then in that eastern part of Ukraine? There isn't much there, really. Right. I mean, it's not there's not a major city there. Right. Um, as if you look on the map, there it's 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 not much where those troops are. But why? So why there? What what is? So you want to start doing all of this stuff? Why move troops? Well, there? Well, first
1: of all, I think Putin gets uh, gets his jollies from watching the West jump up and down whenever he makes like a, everybody's doing right now. A- absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I I can make the argument that. Uh, we haven't addressed the fact that the Ukrainian army is yeah. three times the size of the force that Putin has massed mm. on their border. Um, sadly, uh, this administration has gone back to the Obama-Biden policy mm. of providing Ukraine meals ready to eat in blankets, mm. whereas in the Trump administration, we gave them missiles to take out so yeah. Russian planes wow. and Russian tanks. Um, if he can intimidate, mm. if he can foment revolution. Uh, within Ukraine, if he can build a land bridge into the Crimea from Russia proper, um, that suits his purposes. And if he can do it without firing a shot, he will. Hmm. He's r- actually racing against time, because Ukraine is a Catholic and not an Orthodox country. Yeah, you it's, were talking about it's that. Focused, yeah, what his focus has been to Rome and not to Moscow oh, in, okay. in its one thousand year history. Yeah, um, it looks to the west. It wants to be part of the European Union. Oh. It wants to be part of NATO. Right. Um, they suffered greatly under the uh, under uh, Joseph Stalin, in particular, hmm. where millions and millions of Ukrainians were butchered. Um, and um, it is a rich prize for Putin if he can intimidate and at least make them docile.
0: So, so would let's just say this hypothetically: if if Ukraine were part of NATO currently, would Putin be doing this at the border?
1: Um, he probably would be. Huh. Okay. Um, I think uh, he he views the expansion of the West toward him as a threat to Russia's rightful place uh, um, in uh, in Europe. Um, but again, we don't even have to be in this position. Uh, in right. this conversation, yeah. this conversation that Biden had, if he had started out uh, from the position of having provided the Ukrainians with everything they need to defend themselves and also bolster our NATO allies in Romania, Bulgaria and Poland, in order to stabilize their borders, it would have been Putin playing with the weak hand. But as a result of the inactivity on the part of this administration, he um, he had free reign.
0: And, of course, there's so many different players, you know, regionally, internationally, and things like that. I just wanted to say to the audience, thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in here. I forgot to tell them that, that we're here to answer their questions. So uh, apologies for that. But, please, if you have a question, we've got an answer for it, as we say, or as Radio Shack used to say. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we want to hear from you. We've got some people tuning in. Good morning, uh, in California. Escalon is in California. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for being here. Um, uh, here's an interesting question from, from a viewer on Facebook. And I think that this really does kind of get to what you were saying about Putin flexing, Putin doing what he's doing. Um, it says, is Putin afraid of American or NATO backlash? Is he afraid of that?
1: No, he's not afraid right now of any military backlash. Okay. What he is afraid of is a Ukrainian uh, wall of steel. Hmm. Uh, and that only comes about if America gives the Ukrainians the tools to defend themselves. All right.
0: Now, wall of steel for me, who you know, I do economics and law and that kind of that thing. That means
1: tanks and missiles. Got it. Okay. Uh, not what Obama, Biden and Biden have given them, which okay. are meals ready okay. to See, eat. And, meals. And yeah. let, let me also expand on why President Biden began the conversation from an incredibly weak position. We have to go back to the first week of the Biden administration when he began to dismantle American energy independence. Ah. Um, During the Trump administration, America became an exporter of energy. Um, Oil was about $30 a barrel. Uh, Putin pegged his budget on oil being between $90 and $100 a barrel. Um, Trump deep-sixed that. Hmm. But... When Biden killed American energy independence, oil soared in terms of its prices. Putin's coffers were filled. And we had the strange sight of an American president who just killed American energy, begging the president of Russia to flood the market with Russian oil in order to get inflation under control in the United States. So that's the that is the table that was set by the time biden engaged putin yeah. putin's providing him with oil
0: wow and that is a is a massive yeah. massive issue with the the nord stream 2 pipeline right. which we constantly hear about and we're going to yeah. talk about yeah. that but i wanted to to get to uh, another facebook viewer and and this goes to setting context a little bit yeah. more why is ukraine important uh, on the you know the world stage what sure. what is what is Ukraine's role
1: here. Ukraine has a a very interesting history in its relationship with the Russian Empire and then later the Soviet Union. It's a Catholic country. It's not an Orthodox country. Um, During the 1920s and 30s, uh, as Stalin uh, moved to destroy most of the farming communities of Ukraine and take them over, he butchered millions. Mm. But Ukraine was the breadbasket of the the Soviet Union. Mm. Uh, In fact, that's what Hitler drove to first during Operation Barbarossa in Mm. May of 41 when he invaded uh, the Soviet Union. He went to Ukraine because not only was it the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, but it is the home to incredible mineral wealth, Mm. uh, precious metal wealth. Uh, Putin sees that and access to those resources is vital for sustaining the Russian state.
0: Yeah. It's 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 really fascinating as you as you go through that and you see now where Ukraine is and how they are lobbying to, you know, be a part of NATO, be a part of the EU as you had mentioned before. Talk just a little bit about some of uh of of what our role should be in that. Right. It, America's role should be in that. How, how close should we be playing to this? Is this something we want to happen? Is this something that we're just kind of sitting back and watching happen? And is Biden handling it correctly?
1: Well, he's not handling it correctly. Okay. I mean, okay. he, his administration is now uh, populated uh, by the people who were in charge when Putin snatched off uh, large sections of eastern Ukraine in 2014. Yep. Uh, Jake Sullivan was the architect of sending blankets and uh, pre-prepared meals to Ukraine hmm. in response to Putin's aggression. Um, America can't be everywhere, but America can help everywhere. Right. So our our role that goes back to the Truman Doctrine uh, that, that was built to contain the Soviet Union right. was that we will be a friend to anyone standing up to aggression. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, that means making sure that not only Ukraine, but let's go to Taiwan, that the Ukrainians, the Taiwanese, have everything that they can have in order to defend themselves and to change the calculus on the part of the would-be aggressor Mm. that when, say the Chinese want to come across those straits, and it's a pretty big strait, it's 110 miles across it. uh, What's waiting on the other side? Uh, The same would play with Ukraine. What is waiting in the event that that Putin would come across that border? And that's the role America should play. Now, NATO, different issue. Uh, We have uh, treaty commitments with Poland, Bulgaria, and Romania. Uh, We have to ensure that uh, they not only have the means to protect themselves, but we do everything we can to help them stabilize the situation on their borders.
0: Is there a cause for concern in the immediate for Americans and our security As we see this playing out,
1: well, there is, and we have to go back to history. Okay. Um, Let Let's go back to the the end of World War One. America retreated behind her oceans. Uh, We engaged in what this administration is engaging in, which what I call uh, performance art masquerading as diplomacy. It's great. Um, (laughs) In the 1920s, we signed treaties outlawing war. Yeah. Uh, We signed treaties that destroyed the United States Navy. this administration is engaged in similar actions, be it on on climate change, but in this case, uh, the the spectacle of the democracy summit, uh, mm-hmm. the democracy summit where the president says the most important things to uh, buttress democracy or build back better, and climate change, wow. um, domestic pro- domestic uh, domestic program, a- and and not wow. bringing to this summit the people who are suffering, mm-hmm. uh, people from Taiwan, people from Hong Kong. People from Venezuela and Cuba, mm-hmm. and, and again going back to the other to the twenties and thirties, the dictators marched. Um, the dictators marched in Ethiopia. They marched in Albania and Libya. Um, Czech Republic, the Czechoslovakian state fell. Mm-hmm. Austria was consumed. Manchuria was consumed. And by the time the Western powers drew the line, in Poland it was too late. And uh, just a few months after Poland fell, France fell. Hmm. Um, So we've seen this act, and all historical analogies are imperfect, Uh, but we're again entering into a phase where the dictators are marching, and I use the dictators as the Iranians, uh, the Russians, and the Chinese, Right, Um, and we don't have a coherent response. Wall Street Journal said three days ago. That in the case certainly in the case of Russia and Iran, they do not take President Biden seriously.
0: Well, it looks like they're they're acting that way. As we saw, uh, they had a summit recently between Russia, China, and Iran. Those those three names are very right. very real, very scary yeah. in terms of their views towards America. Um, so is this is this part of that of what they kind of were discussing there? Would this be part of the vision and what's right. what's happening? In well,
1: Ukraine? it's an interesting alliance because historically yeah. you've got three nations that have in the last two, three, two thousand years have been at war with each other in in some form or another. And when things get get tough, I'm sure one of them will be thrown over the side. But right now they are enjoying the spectacle of having America try to uh, maneuver uh, across the world in response. It's become really uh, diplomatic and military Hmm. whack-a-mole because there is no grand strategy on the part of this administration. Uh, they've gone back to the uh, O'Biden directive of don't do stupid stuff, uh, which is not a way for the world's greatest power to function.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of theme here walking and chewing gum at the same time. And Linda, Linda on YouTube just asked, "Why?" This is great, Linda. It's a great question. Why are we protecting other nations' borders and we do not protect our own borders? Well, that, <laughs>
1: That's I incredible. tell you, that is the profound um, uh, observation that we are concerned about Poland. Thanks, Linda.
0: Profound. That's, that's, see?
1: Profound. uh, Sublime is even a better word. (laughs) Um, We are are now concerned about protecting Poland. Well, we're not um, because Biden hasn't moved in that direction, but he's making noises Hmm. that we have to protect the borders of Ukraine and Poland, Romania, and Bulgaria. And yet at the same time, Uh, We see the flood coming across the southern border. All of the Trump era protections are gone. We have no idea who's coming across that border. Hmm. And the same logic would apply that Putin is weaponizing migrants to destabilize countries. Hmm. And we are seeing the destabilization of the American border as a deliberate uh, policy choice uh, on the part of this administration.
0: And you've, and by the way, I'm not a very smart person, but I can walk and chew gum at the same time. I bet you can too. That's right. and, and that would mean, I would bet President Biden could do that as well. You know, even President Biden could do that, you know. Um, and that was a joke, of course. But I, I wanted to pivot to something here. Can you explain why Americans should care? And this was on Facebook, by the way. And thank you so much, folks, for for driving this conversation. We really are pressing into it. Uh, a really serious issue here, um, you know, explain a little bit more as we say we, we shouldn't focus on this issue. If they invade, they invade. Right. Okay. And, and, you know, it's not a direct threat to us at this right. point, you know, and, and you were hinting at it earlier, but just dig a little right. bit more into that.
1: So we're, we're looking at the, the, the table being set for the, the next part of this century hmm. uh, for the United States. Uh, where we have hostile powers who have access to the global commons. So what do I mean by that? Hmm. Uh, It really goes back to Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson's strategy, Hmm. even for a young country, was that the United States would protect the global commons to preserve a world order free for commerce. And in so doing, he sent the entire United States Navy, six frigates, to the Mediterranean to take out the Barbary pirates, who were demanding ransom from American merchantmen oh. entering the Mediterranean. Now the Global Commons means cyber; uh, they mean space, the air as well as the sea lanes. So let's look at what we would be dealing with if Putin were to, to win, Cal, um, Eastern Europe. He would have the pipelines running into Western Europe, our, our great trading partners. Yeah. Uh, he would hold them hostage. And then if a crisis occurred, they would have to choose between being warm in the winter or supporting the United States. Hmm. Uh, That's not a kinetic thing, Uh, but it it is very real. And let's look at, at Taiwan. Taiwan controls the sea and air lanes coming down from Korea and Japan all the way to Australia and across to India. If the Chinese were to control that, they would control the most important, Sea lanes and air lanes on the planet, where the large majority of our commerce trans uh, goes through. Hmm. So, it's it's what happens beyond. If um, if we don't give people the tools to respond, then we are faced with very hard ch- kinetic choices down the road. It was the choices that uh, the British and the French tra- faced. Uh, they didn't respond. Give you a quick story. Hmm. So Hitler. Hitler is faced with what they call the demilitarized Rhineland, which was the the industrial, one of the industrial centers of of Germany. He couldn't put his troops in by treaty, Um, but he decided to test the West. Hmm. So he marches 22,000 troops into the Rhineland in 1936. Their orders are, if so much as one French regiment appears, they have to retreat. French never come. Uh, Hitler occupies the Rhineland, then the next moves Austria, yeah. then the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia then, and then Poland and then France. Again, the analogies are, are imperfect. But this time we are dealing with three players who are trying to change the global calculus. And it's as much commerce as it is kinetic. Sure, um, They all want to see the United States replaced. China is not shy about that. Right. This Our press secretary in the White House says we're in a competition. The People's Liberation Daily says China is at war right. with the United States. Mm-hmm. And it goes back, to, I hate to mix all these nationalities, <laughs> but you and I were talking. Yeah, yeah. Gold in my ear said something very, very profound.
0: Former, uh, former leader of former,
1: Israel. Former prime minister, the late former prime minister of Israel. Israel yep. She said, when somebody tells you he wants to kill you, believe it.
0: It's, it's so funny. It's so good. Uh, and as and, uh, we're Going through all this stuff, it's, it's, you know, energy, 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 oil, oil, oil. You know, Western Europe, they're going to be relying, potentially, potentially relying on an enemy to provide, and, and yet here we are throttling our incredible resources that we have here right. at home right. and begging, like you said, begging right. somebody who that's their end. That's their play. That's yeah. their move.
1: You know, it's interesting. The, the We're national, giving them their move. <laughs> the National Security Advisor said the other day after the conversation between President Biden and Putin that, well, there's no energy flowing. Yeah. Well, first of all, well, then why'd you give him permission to build it? And once that energy starts to flow, does anyone believe that the new socialist chancellor of Germany in the middle of a European winter would cut off energy supplies to his country coming from Russia. Hmm. That, that's what the Germans call cloud cuckoo land. <laughs> that's right.
0: Give us, as, as, and folks, thank you so much for contributing and uh, for being a part of this. And as, as we come to a closer, I wanted to, to give you a chance yeah. to correct the record. You're in the Oval Office now right. and you're talking with President Biden. What is the next best step? I love asking this question yeah. because here we are and like right. you said, la Well,
1: yeah. well, first of all, that would be very hard, but let let me <laughs> let me let me set the stage. Yep. Um uh I I've sounded alarm uh, not alarmist but realistic. Yes. Um real. the United States is the greatest power on the planet. That's not hyperbole. We have tremendous assets. Um we have faced down the world's most uh, vicious regimes in our history, and the graveyards are full of people who underestimated the United States. Um, We have uh, enormous resources. China is not invincible. In fact, I would argue it's pretty fragile. Uh, Russia is, from day to day, it's an economic basket case, and the Ayatollahs are afraid of their own people. Uh, The the goal of American diplomacy has to be to, to contain these people, and let the systems, as the Soviet Union did, uh, collapse from inside. Hmm. Have it collapse in on itself. And, and, and we can set the stage as we did uh, from 1945 uh, till 1991, 1989. Um, so if I'm in the Oval Office, I, it is a strategic imperative that the United States once again return to energy independence. Hmm. Where we are not uh, beholden to any other power where we can provide our allies, uh, the Europeans, uh, our Asian allies, with the energies, energy that they need. Yeah. The second thing is we become, once again, as we did under Franklin Roosevelt, who had to drag an isolationist America into the realities of the second part of the 20th century, That's right. we can become the arsenal of democracy. As Churchill said when he asked Roosevelt for help, give us the tools, we'll finish the job. Yeah. We can do that. We can set down markers. Um, But the problem that this administration is that it is populated by people who don't believe that we are that exceptional nation. Mm -hmm. There are many people in this administration um, who really believe that the United States historically has been the cause of so many of the world's problems. Mm -hmm. And if you start from that premise, you start from a very weak uh, position Uh, vis-a-vis Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping or any of the Ayatollahs.
0: Well, Secretary Wilkie, uh, ending on American exceptionalism is a great place to end, a great reminder to our audience who they believe America is exceptional as well. I, I know that for a for almost almost a fact. I don't know you personally, but I can tell from your questions and your interactions. So uh, really appreciate you bringing it back thank to us, bringing me. us up on this. And we're gonna have you back because I know this thing is gonna develop. Yep. And uh, as it does, you will be here <laughs> to do Well, that, it's hopefully. my pleasure.
1: <laughs> and I thank the folks for watching.
0: Yeah, thank you all so much. And we will see you next time. And that's it for this episode of Heritage Explains Live. Feel free to share the episode with your friends. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought of it. Or you can just rate us wherever you listen to this podcast. We'll catch you next time. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than
1: half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher with editing by John Pop